We'd invite everybody and encourage you, if you're able, to pick up a Bible and follow along as we read this morning from Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 50. If you use the, uh, the Pew Bibles that you'll find in the backs of the seats in front of you, this is on page 880. Matthew chapter 27, we'll read verses 50 through 54. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It is good to be together to worship God together. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. Uh, We're thankful that you're here. It encourages us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you will be, just flipping back in your Bible to Matthew, the first chapter, in just a moment, we'll begin there as we look at several verses this morning. Do keep in mind that uh, this is the week that as a nation we celebrate Thanksgiving. We want to be people of gratitude all the time. But it is wonderful that our nation sets aside a time for us to especially uh, give thanks and to concentrate on Thanksgiving. Wednesday evening, all of the classes will meet here in the auditorium and our deacons will lead us in a service uh, that will help us focus more on gratitude and Thanksgiving. And we look forward to that. Also... Keep in mind, uh, kind of a tradition around here, and and I know it has uh, bled over into other families and either other congregations. It's a wonderful tradition. I want to challenge everyone to make a list of 100 things, at least 100 things for which you're grateful. It's a wonderful exercise to share even around the Thanksgiving table. Once you're finished and you're uh, enjoying your dessert, allow people to go around and read some things off their list. It's a wonderful exercise to create it. It's a wonderful joy to share it with each other. If you haven't started that list and you wanted to begin today, you could list 20 things today through Thursday, and each day doing the 20, you would have 100 by Thursday. It's always interesting to me, once you get around 40, 50, or 60, what those last 40 are. Uh, It really causes us to think of really how many ways God has blessed us. Think about doing that, and and I hope you'll do it because it really gives you something to be prayerful about in Thanksgiving. We are thankful that Casey and Clint uh, are with us and and our membership here and our fellowship here, and we look forward to worshiping and, and serving God together. As we think about our series on the cross and the idea of crucifying God, doesn't that sound horrible? crucifying God. When we view the cross, if we don't understand that the cross was holding Jesus and Jesus was God in flesh, we can't fully appreciate the great sacrifice that was made. 
In other words, when we think about Jesus, we must understand and appreciate the incarnation that God became flesh or we'll totally miss the power of Jesus' presence on this earth. How many have declared that he was a great prophet or that he was a great teacher, but yet that fails us in our understanding of Jesus. He was so much more than just a good prophet or a good teacher. He was and is God. Now, as we think about God becoming flesh, that's mind-boggling. You know, what we do see and what we've seen for ages now is people or beings wanting to become God. You know, apparently that was a part of Satan's fall. Apparently he wanted some of the power of God. When we think about the Roman Empire, you know, there were different emperors that some of them demanded that the citizens worship them. They wanted to be like a deity. As a matter of fact, when individuals create idols, in a sense, that's what they're doing. They are creating what they want God to be and instructing how this God should be worshipped. And in a sense, it's them playing God. Now, this one might step on some of our toes. When we speak where God hasn't spoken... In a sense, we're wanting to be God. Well, I I just think that God wouldn't mind if. Or when we speak contrary to God. Well, I know what God says in the scriptures, but I don't think he would mind if. What we've done in those occasions is we've said, I want to become God of my life. You see, that's so much easier to understand that beings would want to become God. But to think about God becoming a human being is mind-boggling. You know, there is a religion today that a great part of their religion that they will not share with you when they come to your door, but yet it is a driving doctrine in their religion. The Latter-day Saints, as we think about becoming God, notice this next slide, and here's some Uh, Some quotes that come off of one of their websites, this Brigham Young University. One of their doctrines that's very prevalent in their belief system is the doctrine of exaltation. And this is what really separates them from Christianity. You see, we do not even share in the same God because they believe that God was a man that once he lived a righteous enough life beyond this life on earth, he was resurrected into an exalted form and finally became a God himself. They believe that Jesus was the same, that he was just exalted into Godhood. And they believe that within man is the embryo of God and that if man lives a righteous enough life on this earth, on the other side, he just might be exalted into Godhood and might even share in his own planet that he might be God over one day. Here's some quotes from their very own writers. This is from uh, one of their writers. And then he quotes the prophet Joseph saying, God himself who sits enthroned in yonder heavens is a man likened to one of yourselves. That's the great secret, exclamation mark. God attained the perfections of divinity through a process of progression. He is the same species as a human person. Skipping down toward the end of this particular article, he says, 
by freely accepting His great plan of happiness, a plan whose heart and center is the person of Jesus Christ, whose atonement then enables us to attain the full measure of our existence, to become God. One of their quotes that's the best well known on this particular topic is this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man became. Friends, can you imagine the idea of saying that the Almighty God at one time was nothing more than a person like you and I? That kind of doctrine has been around for ages and ages. It's the desire of mankind to say, I want to be a God one day. I want to be powerful one day. I want to be in control of a universe one day. But let me tell you a more beautiful story. This morning, let's study about something that's pure and holy and true. This morning, we're going to look for several pages as we almost just tell the story. And then at the end, we're going to turn to Hebrews... And we're going to let the Hebrew writer just make quick four bullet points. Most of the lesson this morning is the story of Jesus being presented to us as God in flesh. Do you realize that every one of the Gospels begins with an emphasis of Jesus being God in flesh? Let's note these. As you look in Matthew, the first chapter, I'd like for us to begin in verse 21. This is where the angel was talking to to Joseph. And says in Matthew 1 and 21, is page 849 on your pew Bibles, and she shall bring forth a son. Oh no, wait a minute. If it's a woman bringing forth a son, that must be flesh, a human. And you shall call his name Jesus. That's an earthly name. Many Jews were named Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Wait a minute. A man can't do that. Now is this going to be a human or is this going to be God? So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Oh, so it is a human. It's a child. And bear a son. It's a human. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Welcome to a study that none of us will fully comprehend this morning. A study that we can give all of our life to trying to understand how can Jesus Christ be 100% God and 100% flesh at the same time. That's why the scriptures spend so much time making sure that we do not miss the blessing. If you will, go to Mark the first chapter. If we miss the blessing, if we miss the understanding of God coming in flesh to us, we miss the powerful story of the cross and of the resurrection. Mark the first chapter. Let's see this very same thing again, except this time we see it as Mark does not begin with the infant being born on this earth. Mark's account, Mark's gospel of Jesus Christ begins with his earthly ministry. And so we see him being baptized in Mark the first chapter in verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now pause there for a moment. This is the man. 
This is the little boy Jesus that grew up in Galilee. Folks knew him as a man. He was the son. He was the brother. He was the citizen of Galilee. Now let's read on. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wait a minute. Was this Jesus The man of Nazareth being baptized? Yes. But why did God break the silence of heaven to say, this is my son? Because he was God in flesh. If you will go with me to the beginning of Luke, and you'll probably remember Luke does begin with Jesus' infancy as his record of events. And in Luke the second chapter, we read in verse 11 and 12. In Luke the second chapter in 11 and 12, The shepherds have been approached with the great news of what was taking place in Bethlehem. And that story begins in the 8th verse. We're going to pick up in the middle of this in verse 11, speaking to the shepherds. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Wait a minute. A Savior? That has to be deity. But the angel said, born to you. How can the Savior, which is deity, who is eternal, be born? He took upon Himself flesh, and the birth was taking on the flesh. Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe. Isn't that interesting? When when the angel was telling the shepherds, I want to tell you how to find the Lord. I want to tell you how to find the Savior. Go to Bethlehem and look for a baby. The Savior taking on human flesh. He would be in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. If you skip down in verse 17, which isn't on this slide, but notice verse 17. Then when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. He's the Savior. He's the Lord on earth, but he is a child. At 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Don't you know that one of the things, it'd be many things that Mary would have pondered, but don't you know one of the things Mary would have pondered was how can he be God? And how can he be flesh? Friends, all of the concept of that that we may not grasp, there's so much of it that we can grasp. And that's our goal this morning, is for us to appreciate The gift, the gift in God coming in the form of flesh to live and to die and to be resurrected. Look, if you will, in John, the first chapter. Do you remember that John was written well after Matthew, Mark, and Luke? As a matter of fact, the other three are oftentimes called synoptic gospels. And even though John tells the story of Jesus, he doesn't tell it in the same way that the other three tell it. You see, there were many that knew that Jesus Christ walked the earth, but what they were struggling with by this time, they were struggling again and still with believing that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was God in flesh. And so John writes his whole book, the 20th chapter in verse 30 and 31, he tells us that's why he wrote this book, was so that people could believe that Jesus is the Son of God. With this in mind, I'd like for you to notice verse 1, and then we're going to skip down and read verse 14. And here he begins by making a passionate passionate teaching, giving powerful instruction about God in flesh. 
This is how he would say it, calling Jesus the Word. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's skip down now and read verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Now, if you're looking there in 14... The older translations actually take that phrase, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, and place that in parentheses. Now, the reason I note that to you, if you do place that in parentheses, there are three phrases in 14 outside of the parentheses, and there are three phrases in verse 1. Now, let's notice how each of the phrases in 14 help us to understand the phrases of verse 1. Look at this slide here as we have these laid side by side. And notice this powerful teaching. In the beginning was the Word. Now, if we were not studying this at this very moment and I said to you, tell me in the Bible, where's the phrase, in the beginning? Almost every one of you would say, Genesis 1.1. That's the beginning of time. You see, in the beginning, which is creation, John 1 begins with talking about the beginning, but notice who was already there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And if you read on in verse 2, 3, and 4, you'd find out that that Lord, Jesus, was the one who created in the beginning. So we have to understand first and foremost that Jesus is God. But notice the next phrase, which is in verse 14, an explanation of this. And that is, and the Word became flesh. Jesus did have a beginning in which He was manifested as flesh. I need to emphasize that to make sure no one misunderstands that. Jesus is God, so He is eternal. But taking on the form of flesh, manifesting, in other words, showing Himself to the human race as a member of the human race, that did have a beginning. That began in Mary's womb and was presented there to the shepherds as they, they were told, go and find that babe, find that child, find that one that's wrapped in the cloth and is lying in a manger. As God, He has been forever. As in flesh, he had a moment of beginning in the flesh. Notice that next phrase back in verse 1, and the word was with God. That's proximity. That's where he lived. He dwelt in heaven with God. But notice the next phrase in 14, and dwelt among us. That's proximity that the, the infinite farness of God became finite close. A God who seemed so far from us had never been so close to us as when God literally took on flesh. And if I could use the expression, He rubbed shoulders with mankind. He lived down the street with mankind. He lived in a family of mankind. He showed us how to live. He showed us God in flesh. The old translation... I know that as a quick study, it's not as helpful, but in deeper study, some of the older translations actually say tabernacled among us. If I'm studying deeply, I actually like that translation better because when we see in our minds a tabernacle, it's a tent-like structure. And so the infinite or the eternal God left an, an eternal home and He came to dwell in a tent-like structure for a short period of time, in other words, 
with mankind. And that's a reminder you and I are also in a tent-like structure. This physical house will not dwell forever. And our soul will move into a structure, a body, 1 Corinthians 15, that will change and will be given to us. Notice the third phrase in verse 1. And the Word was God. That's what we're studying this morning. Jesus was God. Not just with Him. Not just living in the proximity. Not just existing in an eternal realm. He was God. But notice that last phrase, when He came to earth, took up on the form of flesh, and dwelt among us. Notice this last phrase. Full of grace and truth. Never before had mankind seen the fullness of grace until Jesus Christ was standing before them. Until we see that Jesus on the cross, until we understand that that is God being crucified, but God chose to take on flesh so that it would be significant to us, a Savior for us, then we can appreciate the full measure of grace and the full measure of truth. Over the next three slides, I want to give you just a reminder of things that you probably already know, but maybe if we piece them together quickly, it would place emphasis on the fact that we've just looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of each of these Gospels. Do you realize that whether or not Jesus was the Son of God, God in flesh, was a point of contention and envy all throughout his ministry. And for others, it was a point of glory and adoration. This is God with us. Notice these as if we were flipping through our Bible. Satan addressed this in the first time that he tempted him after his baptism in Matthew, the fourth chapter. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you're the son of God, command these stones be taken to bread. And then when he took him up on the pinnacle of the temple in the fourth chapter, verse six, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And you remember Jesus' answer to this is, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see that? Satan knows who he is. But he's trying to use that as a temptation. I want to get you to do something you wouldn't otherwise do. So I'm going to say, if you're the Son of God. And Jesus' answer is, I am the Son of God. Stop tempting me. Powerful, powerful instruction. Even the demons in Matthew the 8th chapter and 29, when there were two men that Jesus was going to cast the demons out of them, and suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? You remember when, on the next slide, you remember when Jesus calmed the storm, uh, Peter came and met him out on the water, and when finally the storm, the boisterous winds, and the disciples were so afraid, but then all was calm. In Matthew 14 and 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Why was that the response? He had power over nature. He has to be more than man. And you remember when he turned to Peter and and to the others and said, who do men say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And you remember what he said in 16 and 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then you remember the trial that we studied just a few weeks ago in Matthew, the 26th chapter in verse 63, the high priest answered him as Jesus kept silent, and then he said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
Remember, Jesus' answer is that it is as you have spoken. And that's where they said it was blasphemy. That's enough reason for us to put him to death. Is he the Son of God or not? That has been the discussion. That has been the dilemma. That has been the separating fact ever since Jesus was on this earth. And it still remains the fact today. Do I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And do, if I do, do I make Him Lord of my life? And on the cross in Matthew, the 27th chapter and verse 40, even as people passed by, some were saying, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. And even the leaders passed by in verse 43, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. But then the text for this morning, after the centurion, that would have been a Roman soldier, after the Roman soldier watched all the conduct of the Jews, And then he watched the conduct of Jesus, a righteous man being crucified. And then he saw darkness from noon until three in the afternoon. He saw and felt the earthquake so badly that the rocks broke in two. He probably heard about the veil being rent in the temple from top to bottom. And he looked over at graves that had been opened and saw dead, resurrected. Friends, don't take this lightly. Let this sink in until it pierces our heart, our soul, and our convictions. He stood back then as Jesus breathed his last breath and cried out, It is finished! And the centurion looks up and says, Truly, he was the Son of God. What an ending. From the time Jesus came, the whole plea was, Believe me, I can be your Savior because I'm God. And the whole wrestling match of Satan was to convince man, don't believe him. And at the end, his last breath, the statement that's made by one standing by says, I believe it. He was the Son of God. What does that mean for us? We close, and I really do mean that. We're we're closing by reading this. If you will, go to Hebrews, the second chapter. Now, you know the preacher in me wishes we could preach a whole other lesson on Hebrews 2. But what about if we read it and make some points and you go this afternoon or sometime this week and you really dwell on God in flesh Jesus and what this means in the Hebrew writer. We're going to pick up in verse 14. This is what it means as the Hebrew writer reveals it. Inasmuch then, this is Hebrews 2 and 14. Inasmuch then as the children have, partaker, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. The Hebrew writer is saying there, you and I were born as children, flesh and blood. Jesus Christ was born as a child, flesh and blood also. Why did he do that? That through death... In other words, him being flesh and blood on the cross, but God in flesh and blood through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Flesh and blood. Jesus Christ in flesh and blood dying was to destroy Satan. Verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
It was to deliver us. You remember when we studied back a few weeks ago that we're enslaved to sin, we're on an auction block, who's going to buy us back? It's the God in flesh that was crucified that now has the power to buy us back. Verse 16, For indeed He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. You and I as believers in God are seed of Abraham. This is a beautiful thought. Jesus didn't die on the cross to benefit the heavenly host. He didn't die on the cross to aid angels. He died on the cross to aid us. So as believers in God, we can be saved. Verse 17, Therefore, in all these things, He had to be made like His brethren. If this all was going to come true, He had to become flesh. That He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. High priest, one who goes between man to reach the Father. That's what he was on the cross. But did you see that next thing, propitiation? Remember we studied that in depth a couple of weeks ago. He appeased the wrath of God. And then we read verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Friends, I don't understand all that I've just read, but I believe it. Some way God in flesh dying for us, being resurrected from the dead, proving that He could conquer Satan, He could conquer death, not only saves us, but He aids us in temptation. He was tempted in all points like as we are, the Hebrew writer teaches over in the fourth chapter. And so now He knows what we go through and He can aid us also. We cap this with the third chapter in verse 6. Notice Hebrews, the third chapter in verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. Why do we go to that for a closing? Christ came to this earth. He died. He was resurrected to establish his house, which Colossians 1 and 18 would say he's the head of his body, comma, the church. Now, this is really neat. If you've tuned out, tune back in for this and we close. God became flesh so you and I could be saved and invited as human beings flesh to become a part of His body. What an awesome concept. God became like us So in a sense, we could become a member of Him, His body, the church. And between all of that is redemption, propitiation, justification, mercy, grace. But not if He's not God. If He's not God, He's on the same level of a soldier who gives His life for another. For a police officer or fireman that gives their life for another. And that's that's a wonderful sacrifice. But because He's God, He's our Savior. He doesn't force His way upon anyone. This morning, if you're saved, it's because you want Him to be your Savior and you've submitted your life to Him. If you've never done that, won't you do that this morning? If you believe what we've studied this morning about Jesus, if you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you be baptized and allow God to forgive you of those sins so that you can live a life living for the One who is God who came in flesh? 
Maybe somewhere along the way, we've allowed our sinful nature to pull us away from God. Maybe this morning you need to come back and confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we